0: Hello and welcome to this EG podcast from the UK Reef Conference in Leeds. I'm Tim Burke, EG's deputy editor. I'm sitting with Alexa Culver, General Counsel at Environment Bank, and Ben Stansfield, a partner at Gowling WLG, to discuss biodiversity net gain. From November this year, this will no longer be a nice to have, but a must have in new real estate schemes. So what do planners, developers, and local authorities need to prepare for? Alexa, Ben, thank you both for joining EG. Hi. Good to be here. Ben, let's start with, with the regulation. Talk us through what will be required from November and for which developers
1: and, and which kind of projects that they're working on. Sure. So the first thing to say is that it applies to all developments. So in every development in every sector within real estate. There are you know there are going to be a few exceptions. So if you if you're developing through permitted development rights, if it's a householder application, that kind of stuff will be exempt. But other than that, the starting point is every every development scheme will be subject to a planning condition requiring developers to to demonstrate how they're going to increase biodiversity on site by at least 10 percent so it's the first time it's a statutory scheme rather than voluntary and so it means that it's not enough to be able to prove it's happening
0: as the scheme is underway you you have to have mapped out a clear route to achieving this before you put a spade in the ground as you go in with the as you go in with the application yeah okay what will be the biggest challenges for developers in doing that i guess both in terms of how they're thinking about their schemes but also how they're putting together that planning application liaising say with local authorities while they're working through it
1: so i think the the, the biggest concern i guess it's a new rule which planning officers consultants and developers are all getting getting their head around so that uncertainty is a big issue the other issues are where the biodiversity works are going to be provided is it going to be insisted upon by officers that it's going to be delivered on-site or could an off-site solution which may produce far better biodiversity results be acceptable? So I think developers putting their planning applications in are trying to work out how do we provide enough detail to give officers the comfort, but giving us the flexibility because an application gets submitted many months and years before implementation of the scheme. How do we keep that flexibility as to what the delivery solution will be?
0: Alexa, take us through Environment Bank's work with its um, with its BNG units.
2: Absolutely, yes. So we have been working hard over the last couple of years to build a national network of habitat banks precisely for this very situation. From November, once all developments pretty much need to deliver at least 10% gains, some of that has to be offsite. And not only is that better for nature in many ways, when it's bigger, better and more joined up, as are the, the Lawton principles, um but also it just as a matter of fact will need to have some delivered off-site for a lot of different developments where it's not feasible it's not right for the scheme it's not right for the people necessarily and certainly often not right for the nature to be there in some of the kinds of schemes that will need to deliver this game so we've been building a national network of habitat banks in advance so that the games are already being delivered for nature now so that developers large and small can tap into those and if they need half a unit of medium distinctiveness scrubland, for example, it's there for them to take while they're contributing to bigger, better, more joined up schemes.
0: So how will that initiative work in practice? So take me through what it looks like. You've got, I suppose, certain parcels of land. Tell us what you've done with those and then how developers, other parties, will be able to come to you and say we need X amount for, um, for this particular scheme we're working on, how will you work through that?
2: Absolutely. So, we'll have a huge habitat bank, is typically what we prefer. You know, 60 hectares bigger, the better. Where do you, ha-
0: where does the land come from? So, uh-huh. how do you identify? So this? I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, of farming. course.
2: So, typically, what we're looking for is depleted land, perhaps over farmed land, not necessarily very productive, where often the miracle of getting a habitat bank open is finding an area of land large. In a strategic location for nature with a landowner who understands what we're looking to achieve and who can be part of that solution and what we do is we pay rents to the landowner and we pay management payments to the land manager and they might be the same or they might be different it might be other occupational farmers that do the management work and the management works will be put together by our expert ecologists as a habitat management plan it will involve capital works to put in the new habitats to prepare the soil, to take some of the excess nutrients out of the soil, to spot treat invasive species, replant hedgerows, prepare the ground for seed sowing, and really put in a, a whole mix of different habitat types to deliver big substantial gains for nature. And so that management program would last for over 30 years to comply with the statutory 30 year requirement. And so that Habitat Bank would get opened up open for business, developer comes along, they have a development, they've applied what's called the mitigation hierarchy, they've delivered what gains for nature they can on site, they've avoided losses as much as they can and then they come to us for the off-site solution to complement what they're already doing and they say we need a unit of medium distinctiveness grassland please and we say of course here's the certificate, And then here you can present this to the local planning authority as evidence of your discharge of what will typically be a pre-commencement planning condition. Will
0: developers need to prove from November that they've started with searching how to do this on-site, then moved to off-site and then I suppose looked at anything Beyond that, did you mention there was a a hierarchy there? Exactly, there's
2: a mitigation hierarchy and a spatial hierarchy that apply, and they would need to, through their biodiversity gain plans, that would be where they correspond with the LPA. In their gain plan, they say, this is what we've managed to avoid losing, this is what we're going to deliver on site and it's appropriate to deliver it on site. Remembering that these are games for nature, not really games for humans. Remembering that that's what the principles behind this are. And then this is what we're delivering off site. And that, that LPA would be looking at that game plan and comforting themselves that that has been applied appropriately.
0: And then, Ben, am I right in saying that after... After you look at on-site and off-site work, there are there are credit options that companies can look yes. at as well?
1: So the Secretary of State has said, look, if, if, if the market doesn't generate units for developers to satisfy their obligation, in case of emergency break glass, you can come to the Secretary of State, buy a credit. Now, the response to consultation tells us these are gonna be deliberately uncompetitive. They're gonna be much more expensive than any other solution. Because they want it to be a, a, a last resort, right? It, exactly right, So, and, and, and once the market's up and running and these habitat banks are, are, are working you know, as they should, then the credit scheme will be withdrawn.
2: Yeah, it's, it's sort of principally there just to make sure that the planning system doesn't stall quite rightly. If the market isn't quite set up yet, then the planning, then they should still be able to get their planning through. And that's, again, why we've spent the last couple of years building up this national network to show that we can get a solution in place and reduce the need to rely on the statutory credits. And it's a
1: really useful solution in the sense of, because the pub- Secretary of State will publish the price six months in advance, so a developer can put that into their appraisal and they know, look, if the worst comes to the worst, that's that's my cost. And I should be able to get that cheaper. So it's it's quite a helpful uh, approach.
0: Alexa mentions though, that question of whether the market is ready, from conversations that you're having just anecdotally with with sort of vested interests here. What do you sense on that front? I mean, the companies clearly know this is coming.
2: Well, I, would, <laughs> I, I really brilliant this has been such a brilliant event because we've spoken to so many people and it's reinforcing the complete mixture of awareness currently for some the question of biodiversity hasn't even cropped up properly at all for others they know so much about it already and there's everything in between it started with a panic i think it was palpable panic a couple of months ago of where's the regulations what's really going to happen how do we prepare for it but it's kind of making way for more of what i'm calling a kind of dunkirk spirit now we're all just sort of thinking right. We're going to work this out. Yes, the regs are a bit later than we would want them to be, but let's just crack on and find a way through. And Natural England themselves have said, look, just triage, triage, triage. Not every planning application is going to need absolutely the same forensic focus on biodiversity. Let's just take a proportionate approach and hold all of our hands together through this and we work out out a way of making it work.
0: Ben, what kind of conversations are you having with clients about, about this and how far down the road? Again, does it does it differ? Are some thinking about this in a lot more depth already and
1: others not? I think a lot of our clients are thinking about it, not least because I've been shouting about it for a <laughs> long time. Um, look at me, look at me. Um, so no, you know, we, have, we have a very sophisticated client base who got a lot of in-house capability. They're looking at it. Some are calling it the biggest planning risk they're currently facing. Um, A lot, particularly in urban areas, are wondering, look, how are we going to provide this on site? We are struggling for for land as it is. Uh, Please don't make us put anything on the roof. That (laughs) kind of stuff. So, look, this this will sort of wash out. People will get comfortable with it. I think there's an anxiety that, amongst my developer client base, that they're not entirely sure how every local authority is going to deal with it.
2: Yeah that patchwork of local planning authority approach is a concern for some but what we're finding is that the LPAs are really keen to engage with us and with the developers too and we're just hoping everyone can kind of take a common sense approach while we wait really for the secondary regulations to land and I think that will hopefully answer a lot of the current unknowns
1: And when are those expected? Yesterday (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, any time time. My, My sense is they've been drafted for some time but it's just the, sort of the right moment for DEFRA to publish them.
0: Interesting, Ben, that you mentioned there are uh, companies that are saying this is the biggest risk they face in terms of planning. W- will there be companies for, for which this really does throw the viability of schemes into question in perhaps, as you say, urban areas where they, they simply don't see an easy way to to meet these requirements?
1: I guess, I mean, I hope not. I mean. I, I, I guess the number of biodiversity units that are going to be needed for urban sites is going to be going to be less because the biodiversity baseline is going to be at a low point anyway. So I, I really hope it doesn't throw schemes out. It shouldn't be. It should just, you know, I hope in, in fact it encourages people to be looking at not just doing the biodiversity net gain, but just how they can incorporate good biodiversity and nature into their schemes. Yeah. So it could be a real catalyst for all sorts of really cool stuff coming out. And I guess to your... To your point, that ten percent figure it
0: works across everything. So the will in an urban scheme, you're starting from a lower exactly. base. Exactly, ten percent of not a lot. Is still, yeah. it's achievable.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I was interested in in getting your thoughts on what kind of talent is needed as as this comes through. Will um will real estate companies be looking for new skill sets, new talent that maybe maybe they don't have within their business. Maybe they don't initially know where to look to to find in order to um, in order to meet the requirements in these planning docs and in the schemes?
2: Well I mean certainly there's a big um, sector wide, certainly in the planning authorities too, nervousness at the lack of ecologists out there. And really this all stems from ecology, a, a decent, robust understanding of ecology. It's a complex, important topic and understanding the deferometric in itself is an art form. So I think there's a nervousness that we don't actually have currently, the numbers of of ecologists out there to service all the levels of help that are needed across the sector. But what we're hoping is that this passing of the Environment Act this coming into force in November will start to show the true value, the economic visibility of the nature that's being lost to developments and brings forward a whole cohort swathes of qualified ecologists to support the growing sector.
0: Because it will be a, a, suddenly, I presume, a real estate role that didn't necessarily exist before, an opportunity for someone to come in and make a difference through the built environment that they might not have thought was an option for them.
2: Exactly that, and getting creative about biodiversity gains rather than what has been the case, of course, for decades, which is just trying to mitigate harm. Here we've got creative opportunities to proactively build nature, for want of a better way of putting it, and that's what's happening at Environment Bank is all the ecologists that have joined us have enjoyed moving from a role that was about hoping they didn't find anything because it would upset People and working out how to gently mitigate that damage to being actively involved in creating vast habitat banks that are doing so much for nature and the climate.
0: And how quickly have you been able to build out the team?
2: Ah, so it's been rapid um we've we now have over 40 ecologists nationally and i may be doing ourselves a disservice because that number jumped up quite recently i think <laughs> but it's been a real a big growth for us and it's been an attractive place for ecologists to come because they love doing something productive and positive for nature
0: i hate to ask this because of course we want everyone to be turning turning to you are there are there many other companies that are coming up with their own approaches to try to um to try to solve this riddle for for developers? Of course.
2: And, you know, I don't want to sound glib, but the more the merrier in lots of ways. You know, there are lots of ways of trying to achieve this. We're going big, we're going national, we're going mega. Um, But there are other landowners that might want to bring forward little patchworks of land locally. We really support and encourage that. If the ecology stacks up, we're happy. And I think that uh, the other thing that we see is a lot of brokered sites, so where agents might go, that developer needs so, such and such amount of land to deal with their biodiversity net gain, and they'll put them in touch and let them do a deal. And that, you know, that has benefits and it has drawbacks. Where we want to be part of the picture is by being big and having ready-made units to tap into. Um, that's where we want to be.
0: Is this an opportunity for landowners that, that that might simply have sites that they feel like they've run out of options for, that they've been sitting on waiting for Definitely. some opportunity to, to raise its head?
2: Definitely. We really encourage the good sites coming forward in good strategic locations for nature. But any improvement to land anywhere is brilliant. Um, the metric rewards land being brought forward in more strategic locations because of the strategic significance of it. But if your landowner wants to bring forward another bit of land that may not be overly strategic for nature, but it's doing good, that's brilliant. The unit yields might just be that bit less.
0: Now, I asked about talent within within real estate companies. Within planning authorities, is there a concern there about already stretched resources? Um, And, you know, I talk to a lot of real estate companies that have real frustrations with how long it will take to... um, to have the right discussions with planning planning professionals in, in, in local councils and get things in front of committee. Will planning teams themselves face challenges over their ability to have this added to their workload and to understand, uh, I, don't mean, I don't mean that to sound facetious, but to understand what they're looking at when they read the, the net gain reports?
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think from a technical ecology point of view, there's the challenges there. Local planning authorities are stretched absolutely I have deep sympathy for what they're being asked to do, that we've got the the mystery of uh, responsible bodies that still looms large. Um, These sites could be governed under conservation covenants, for example, once we know who responsible bodies will be. Um, And so that might take some of the pressure off local planning authorities in terms of managing and governing habitat banks, but they still have their planning function of approving these biodiversity game plans. And you're seeing, Ben, aren't you, that there's some kind of challenges that developers are facing on that front too.
1: Yes, absolutely, (laughs) (laughs) yes, and then some.
0: (laughs) Um, So much of what we've been talking about uh, here at, at UK Reef this week has been about partnership. And so I guess just as a sort of final thought here, I was interested in, in getting both of your thoughts on on what the opportunity here is for private companies, landowners, then local authorities, um, all to come together and, and, and collaborate on delivering these games in a, in a way that I, I guess, hopefully you would see stretch beyond just the planning process and and the scheme launching. This is, I guess, another area where we need to see some new ways of thinking, bringing everyone onto the same page and having perhaps a little more collaboration than you might always see between between these parties to make this work.
2: Totally. I mean, I think we're all in this Dunkirk spirit already together, where we're all kind of tiptoeing around to think, what, what, does, what worries that developer? What's that developer anxious about? What is that local planning authority focusing heavily on? How hyper-local are they concerned to see things happen? How much are people gradually recognising the benefit of a national network of habitat banks? And what that brings for gains for nature? Even just the wider sector understanding the importance of biodiversity at all is a great step forward.
1: Yeah, and I, I think I think the planning process is often quite adversarial, isn't it? It feels like offices are thinking, well what's what a developer trying to get away with. Developers are saying, Why aren't the officers being a bit more pragmatic and commercial? And I think this is a really good opportunity. It's like a sort of subtopic within planning to say, Well let's let's not have that approach. Let's all work out who the ultimate or what's the ultimate beneficiary of this policy is. Work together because we haven't got time to be trying to slip things in a biodiversity game plan that's a little bit developer friendly or officers thinking what where, where, where's the wrinkle so you know we're not going to sort of put down our arms and and all come together and hug each other but I, I i do think it's a great opportunity to try a different way of doing planning and just six
0: months to go as mm-hmm. well exactly comes in. so right around the corner
2: yeah absolutely
0: okay everything to play for well listen alexa ben Um, thank you both. Thank you. For being with EG and and sharing your thoughts on that. Uh, Thank you for listening. And for more from EG at UK Reef, head to egi.co.uk forward slash news.